Ever need something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. What's the best way to fish like a local? What if you could book a trip with an experienced local guide with the click of a button? Now you can with Fishing Booker. Now anyone can access enjoyable fishing experiences anywhere. Take the legwork out of setting up that trip and explore more than 30,000 fishing experiences at your fingertips. Just go to fishingbooker.com to get started and book your trip with a local guide. That's fishingbooker.com. Fishing Booker. Fish like a local. And so I called Papa. He goes, hey, I'm back here with Mama. She's fixing me in surgery. And I said, I need your help. I'm on a turkey. He's down here in the, in the road. I need to know what to do. And I can hear Mama in the background. She's, you know, she's getting ready there prepping her. And she goes, Steve, you need to help him with get that turkey. You, know, you need to help him get that turkey. It's open mic night at the Bear Grease home fire. And I'm giving the stage to some of the best turkey hunters I know. It's mid-March, the days are getting longer, the Sarvisberry blooms are popping, and the stories are flowing like clear mountain streams. Turkey tales aren't just for entertainment, but they export in words and spirit a picture of the dedication of a unique band of brothers, a tribe of people bonded together by a ground-nesting goblin bird. These stories give a glimpse into the joys, tribulations, and passions of the American turkey hunter. It's an odd thing that a feathered beast would grip a heart so tightly. It really doesn't even make sense. But a goblin spring turkey is as dynamic of a combination of audio sensation, challenge in the hunt, and visual imagery as there is in the natural world. A strutting gobbler rivals in beauty and mystique a breaching humpback whale in the North Atlantic, a bighorn sheep on a mountain crag or even the great scenes of the African savanna teeming with migrating herds of ungulates. A goblin turkey is the real deal. Add in the backdrop of the spring woods metamorphizing into brilliant hues of green, and it's almost unreal. On this episode, we're celebrating the wild turkey and the hunt. We'll hear about a white turkey in Tennessee, a story where a hunter caught on fire. It's not a joke and a turkey that had the gobble shout out of him. And we'll end with a story that might bring a tear to your eye. I really doubt that you're going to want to miss this one. And one more thing before we get going. You can go to the Meat Eater YouTube channel and check out three videos that I made called the Bear Grease Roadshow. 
There is a video that we did about Warner Glenn, who we also did a podcast about. There's a video about the Folsom archaeological site and the bear hunt that I did with a Folsom Point. Also something we did on a Bear Grease series. And lastly, there's a video about plot hounds in Appalachia. Go check all that out. Daddy got his gun up and the turkey's right there and all of a sudden he's, he smells something. Smells warm and then he looked down and he sees smoke coming up out of his pocket. He said, you might be interested to know that pockets not only burn to the outside, they burn to the inside too. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is the Bear Grease Podcast, where we'll explore things forgotten but relevant, search for insight in unlikely places, and where we'll tell the story of Americans who live their lives close to the land. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. I love turkey stories and always have. The telling of stories is an important part of the culture where I grew up, and maybe it's the same where you came from. A good story is like money in the bank. You can withdraw it when you need it, and it draws interest with time. It gets better the more that it's told. Being a good storyteller, to me, isn't about flashy details and oratory pizzazz. It's about a payoff being delivered to the listener and it can come in a lot of different ways. Some great stories I've heard come with a monotone delivery and with minimal hand gestures, but the frequency emitted by the teller confronted the listener with the display of moral character, the execution of wit, or the joy, trial, and tragedy of the sliver of time described. Some storytellers carry a contagious passion, and their personal investment in the story is sensed, and all the very best ones have a high degree of that. We all want to listen to folks that have a zeal and passion for life, someone who can describe with clarity what it feels like to look through their eyes. We learn when we see what someone else sees. We want to hear someone who's willing to tell the truth, and authenticity trumps pizzazz every time. We learn how to communicate by listening to other people's stories. Communication is everything in the successful execution of being a human. If you are looking for a great self-help area to focus on in 2023 that would improve every area of your life, increasing your communication skills would be hard to top. And it isn't just a sequence of words. AI can produce words in sequence. But the passion, energy, spirit, and intent behind words give it life and meaning. You're about to hear eight different stories from turkey chasers from the ages of 19 to 81. And before we get going, just be patient here, my brothers. Stories deliver different kinds of value. Sometimes a turkey story describes a tactic, the behavior of turkeys, or introduces us to a new skill. The story's really functional and it helps us. Sometimes we don't learn much, but we're highly entertained. But one of my favorites is when a story exposes the broader life of the teller. It's usually a small window, but they'll show their cards to you if you're paying attention. 
Enough rambling, and you boys know I love to do it. I want to hear some turkey stories. And we're coming in hot with this first one with none other than a Bear Grease favorite, Andy Brown of Western Arkansas. He's a masterful woodsman and turkey hunter, and his passion shines through in every story he tells. I know you're going to enjoy this one. You know, I have been fortunate. I have really been fortunate in my life to be able to have hunted with some really, really good turkey hunters. Of course, had a lot of fun. I mean, yeah, we were serious about what we did, but I mean, we we kind of like to gig each other and, you know, have a little fun with each other. But one story, Jim Fight, and he was a, he was a dear friend of mine. He always called me Andrew. That's what he always said, Andrew. He wanted to go turkey hunting, never been before in his life. And that's back when I was, I mean, I was really eat up with it. And course where we lived at that time was right in the heart and soul of it i mean i could stand on my deck any any morning from the 10th day of march till may 1 and hear turkeys gobbling from my deck and what was funny about that i had all those turkeys out there and i'd drive 20 miles to go hunting you know i mean just stupid stuff like that but but i had places i liked to hunt and guys i like to hunt with but anyway jim wanted to go and he'd never been and he did have some camouflage and i think he borrowed a pair of gloves and a face mask for me and he come over one morning and i can remember this just like it was yesterday he had a he had a sweet 16 browning shotgun but he shows up and we go in there north of the house and pulled it on the side of uh, the main mountain on the north side and got up in there and that back in those days that's when there wouldn't be a leaf on the side of that mountain that wasn't turned over by turkey scratching. I mean, there was, people would not believe it that didn't know it. That was like in, we moved out there in uh, 84. But that mountain, it just like you took a tiller in there and just till the leaves. But anyway, we pulled in there on the mountain where I thought we were going to be in the chips. And of course, naturally, you know how that goes. You're trying to be the big bad turkey hunter and you take somebody that's never been, you get up there and the, the turkeys ain't gobbling. You know, there's just mornings that they're over the hump. You know, you're on one side of the mountain and they're on the other side of the mountain. Or some mornings they just don't want to gobble. But anyway, we hadn't heard a thing. And I told Jim, of course, I had to go to work. It was before work one morning. And I said, Jim, uh, we'll just have to do it here for day. It's just not working out. So we head back off this long leg. And that, down at the end of it was an old well down there. And we got to the well. I heard a turkey gobble down in the low woods, kind of northeast of us. Over there. I said, you hear that? And he said, thought it did. About that time he gobbled again. And man, it was about probably 8 30 that dude put in over there. i mean gobbling every breath and i said come on let's go i said we're gonna kill that dude i mean he's, he's just one of them you, you just tell the way he's gobbling you're gonna kill him and when we got down there where he was at he was in an old road there's a kind of a big ridge in there and there's an old road come off the, the south side of it there and i got old jim <laughs> we didn't we didn't stay on the main road we kind of got off the road i didn't there wasn't really a place you could get and shoot down the road but i knew that turkey was gonna come down that road and so right off the road there was a little old kind of a dry branch there and a hump just a little old ridge there and i got jim out there and he laid down on his belly of course i put it on that turkey and he just gobbling every breath and i mean i was of course i was showing out a little bit i was hammering him you know and he was he it, it, everything was just like you wanted it just just come just drumming and gobbling and i got behind a little old white oak probably wasn't 10 inches in diameter and i knew i didn't have to hide you know this is going to be short and sweet anyway i look out there here comes that turkey down the road he's all blowed up he comes right in there and there's a trail that comes in and jim's standing there or laying there on his belly he's got his gun on that on that turkey and that turkey just kept a coming right to him and he got down in that that little old deal there and 
I don't know, Jim moved or something, and, of course, the turkey went to clucking, and about the time he went to clucking, he went to flying, and, and I knew then that Jim wasn't going to shoot. And so, anyway, of course, I cut drive at him, never, never cut a feather on him. And uh, <laughs> I said, I was, I was been out of shape, you know, because, I mean, it's, it, it was a sure enough deal. I said, Jim, how come you didn't shoot that turkey? He said, Andrew. He said, all I could see was his head. <laughs> I said, well, well, Jim, that's what you're supposed to be shooting at. You know, is his head. But yeah, that's all I could see was his head. Oh, my goodness. All I could see was his head. It's hard not to laugh with Andy when he hits the punchline of his story. On this next one, we're in for another treat because it's being told by none other than Bear Grease Hall of Famer Roy Clark of East Tennessee. Mr. Roy is in his mid-70s, and he's as good a hound breeder and bear hunter as God ever made. As a matter of fact, I just made a video about him and his plot hounds that just came out on the Meat Eater YouTube channel. You should check it out. What a lot of people wouldn't know about Mr. Roy is that he's a dang good turkey hunter. He doesn't talk about it much, but a few years ago, I asked if he'd had a good spring, and he told me he'd killed five gobblers, three in Tennessee and a couple in North Carolina. Here's Mr. Roy's story of the white turkey. I was going to tell about a East Tennessee turkey hunting event above home. I heard about this white turkey through my brother, and I know the two boys that supposedly seen the turkey, and, and they was out drinking, and uh, and I know both of them, but I know one of them was pretty truthful, so I went and talked to him about it, and he told me what they seen and where they seen it, and so I told my son-in-law, Scott Childers, about it, and me and him went up there to see if we could see it or find it, and we went up there one morning before daylight, and and we heard it a goblin, and we was close to it. But we worked our way before daylight and got close enough that we could see the tree it's in. And when it got daylight, we could see it was a, had a lot of white on it. And it gobbled on the roost and stuff. And then when it finally flew off the roost, instead of flying down, it flew out of there. Flew out of sight, and we never did hear it no more. And we wound up. Uh, going back several times, and every time we'd go, we'd locate it, and we'd get close to it, but it would sail out and leave, and then it wouldn't gobble after it hit the ground, and we would never know where it went to. We'd done the slate, and we'd done the boxing, we'd done mouth calls, we'd done everything, and we hunted it for two weeks on the evenings it, after he'd come in from work, and and when he was off, we'd go over morning and evening. And we went up our one Friday morning, and it was roosting on top of the mountain. We come up that mountain and got under the tree. But like I said, every time it would just sell out and sell to you, couldn't see it. So we went back on Saturday morning, and it was a goblin up there on top of that mountain again. And I told Scott, I said, I ain't going up there no more. I ain't climbing that mountain for it and hit selling out there. I said, you can if you want to. So he decided he was going up there, and I just stayed down there where, where we'd parked at, and I walked around the road, 
till I got straight down under where it's at and went up in the woods and got me a place where I could still see the road, but uh, right under it. And the process of hit a getting daylight and hit a goblin up there, I hear this hen. And she was in a tree just 25 or 30 foot from me. So directly, he, that Tom sailed out there, and I'd say it was 100 foot over top of the trees and uh, over top of my head, and it just sailed right on by me and just kept right on going to it went out of sight. Well, I thought to myself, it's gone again, and I tried to call Scott on the walkie-talkie to tell him it's gone, but he didn't answer me. He, he didn't know whether it flew down up there or what he'd done. He just knew he'd come out of the tree. And uh, I decided I'd just sit there and wait till that hen, see what that hen done. So I sat there, and after a while, she just eased off of the roost and just barely sailed down toward the road and sailed around the road just like gliding and 10 foot of the road and going around the road the way the road lay and went out of my sight around the curve. And when she did, I got up and got all my stuff together and thought I'd start making my way back towards the vehicle. And I got down there, but I was going to watch, see if I could see that hen anywhere. And uh, I was coming around the road, and I walked around the curve, and I looked, and I seen that sucker strutting out there in the road. And I got on a little bit closer there. I stayed to the side uh, of the curve where it couldn't see me, and I got just a little bit closer and I could see that hen was out there, squatted down out there on the edge of the grass. And that tom was a strutting around her. Well, I just stepped to the side there and got all my stuff off and got ready. And, and I'd peep around there where I could see him. And when he turned his back to me and was strutting back away from me, I took two steps out in the road. And he strutted around and up the side of that hen, turned and strutted back down and started back around towards me. And... Uh, and I let him have it and folded him up right there in the road. And I went out there, and it was a flopping. I didn't want to tire its feathers up. And so I got it by both back legs and held it up. And Scott was a hollering at me on the radio. Did I get it? Did I get it? And I had to hold the turkey with both back feet holding it. And he finally quit there directly, and I called Scott and told him I had it. And he'd come down there, and we've seen turkeys spangled up and turkeys with white on them and stuff all been hens but this is the first time that we ever seen that was colored up with white tips on its uh, feathers and white spot on both sides of its wings and and uh, actually a, a pretty turkey and uh, so I wanted to have it fixed because I know that I never could get another one fixed and uh, Mark Dufresne up in Maine, a buddy of mine, he took it and fixed it, and, and he mounted a lot of stuff, and, and he actually said it was the prettiest one he ever seen, and I think it was, and that sort of ended my turkey hunting. I didn't think I could ever top that, so I just sort of retired from turkey hunting. That white turkey put Mr. Roy into retirement. I'm not sure how I feel about that, but the gobblers in East Tennessee are probably better off on account of it. Mr. Roy is a national treasure and a dear friend of mine. I got a kick out of how he said the boys that first saw that white turkey were out drinking, but he knew one of them was pretty truthful. (laughs) That's good. 
What's the healthiest thing that you can do for your pet? Feed them what they were born to eat with Darwin's fresh, raw food for dogs and cats. Darwin's customized meal plans support their ancestral diet with high protein, moderate fat, and low carbs. From shinier coats and softer fur to improved digestion and gut health, the health benefits are easy to see. Plus, there are no fillers, grains, or natural additives. Just farm-fresh, raw ingredients like USDA meats and organic vegetables delivered straight to your door from the freshest raw meals possible. With over 20 years of experience, choose Darwin's to see your pet thrive longer. Go to darwinspet.com and try 10 pounds for $14.95. That's darwinspet.com. Here's a simple but meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. A digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pictures of all the things that they can't be there for, from family vacation to their grandkids' graduation. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code BEAR. That's A-U-R-A, frames.com, promo code BEAR. Terms and conditions apply. I've had a Helix Sleep mattress for over two years, and it is for sure the nicest mattress that I've ever slept on. I've slept much better in the last two years, been more comfortable than I have for my whole life, and that's true. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, the newly released Helix Elite Collection, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids. Take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door free of charge. Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash clay and use the code HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet and won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Man, we got the stories stacked in here deep. Our next story is told by a Mississippi native, author, former Ole Miss football player, and turkey hunter extraordinaire, Mr. Robert Hit Neal Jr. He's 81 years young, and this is an old story about his dad he calls the flaming turkey hunter. On Woodstock Island, the... the uh hunting cabin that we had over there, which had been a sharecropper's cabin, is probably now 100 years old, uh, made out of cypress. And I was standing on the porch of the cabin because the weekend was about over. My brother and I had killed turkeys, and and I was sweeping the porch off, and Bo was inside packing and cleaning up. And and my daddy, Big Robert, but Big Robert didn't look like John Wayne. John Wayne looked like Big Robert. He was about six, two and a half, big, wide-shouldered man, trim waist. You know, he was that kind of guy. And he hadn't had any luck the whole turkey season. This was the last weekend of the season. Bo and I, that's my brother, Bo and I had killed seven turkeys between us. And so the pressure was really on Daddy. He hadn't even gotten a shot. So he was still in the woods hunting. And I'm out on the porch sweeping it off, and then I hear the Jeep coming, and he pulls up into the yard, 
and he sits there, cuts the Jeep off, and he just sits there, and you see his hands gripping the wheel, and so I put the broom against the wall and went down the steps and walked over to the Jeep. I think he maybe wants me to help carry his turkeys in or something like that, you know, and got there and no turkeys. And he's sitting there and his jaw just working, you know, while that muscle comes out the jawbone just working. And I said, is anything wrong? He said, where's Bo? I said, he's inside sweeping the cabin. Uh, you want me to go get it? And he said, no. This story's too good to keep, but I'd be if I'll tell both of you at the same time. And he told me that he'd been out there in the woods about 10 o'clock, hadn't heard of a turkey or seen a turkey, and Daddy smoked about three packs of cigarettes a day. And he's sitting there on a log, and he gets his cigarette out, and he puts it in his mouth, and then he puts the cigarette package back in the pocket, and he gets the lighter out, and he lights it, and he's sticking the lighter back in his pocket, when he looked up and a gobbler standing about 20 yards away, just stepped out from behind a big persimmon tree. And turkeys are real wary birds. He knew that you ought not to go breathing big clouds of blue smoke at them when they were standing there looking at you. And so he just froze right there with his hand in his pocket, put the lighter back and didn't exhale until the turkey took another step or two and got behind a tree and then he exhaled and tongue the cigarette out the corner of his mouth and put his hand on his gun. But before he could get it up, the turkey stepped out behind the tree and he's walking real slow now looking for that hen he's been hearing call. And when the turkey gets behind the next tree, daddy got his gun up and got ready and the turkey's right there. And, and all of a sudden he's, he smells something, smells warm and then the left side of his chest starts just horrible pain. And he looked down and he sees smoke coming up out of his pocket when he had tongued the cigarette out the corner of his mouth and it went down in his shirt pocket. And he said, you might be interested to know that pockets not only burn to the outside, they burn to the inside too. And his chest is broiling and he sees the first flickers of flame coming up from the pocket. He's, I've actually still got the jumpsuit. It's got a hole in the pocket with it burnt. And he's waiting. He said he remembered thinking at that time that he's a dedicated turkey hunter, you know. It's like one of those moments when everything happens and, and yet afterwards it seems like you actually thought it out but it all happened in a split second. He said, I remember thinking at that time that I could either shoot the turkey or I could put myself out. And of course, for a dedicated turkey hunter, no decision at all. He sat there and let his shirt burn and him in it while he waits for the turkey to come out from behind the flame tree and the finally turkey steps out behind the tree and he shoots and he throws the gun down and beats his chest and he puts the fire out and he had missed the turkey. <laughs> <laughs> and he said the turkey didn't even run. He just stood there and said, what are you doing? You know, because flaming turkey hunters are, are very rare in the woods with Smokey the Bear enjoying the, the popularity that he had back then. And so he came on back to the cabin, and the jumpsuit is still hanging up there. That's the flaming turkey story. <laughs> that was good, man. That was good. I wasn't expecting that. I can just envision flames flickering up in the corner of Mr. Neal's eye as he squeezed the trigger on that Mississippi Longbeard. I wonder if that's ever happened to another turkey hunter before. 
Our next storyteller is exactly 62 years younger than Mr. Neal. Coy House is 19 years old and he lives in Western Arkansas. I grew up with his mom and dad and he's a great young man for a lot of reasons. One of which is that he's a passionate turkey hunter. This story is about the first bird he ever killed completely on his own. Well, almost on his own. Here's Coy. Well, I've been turkey hunting for a while. Me and Steve, my grandpa, you know, everybody knows Steve pretty well. If he's turkey hunting, I'm with him nine times out of ten. I fell in love with it, and we just love to do it together. Well, this particular story I'm going to tell you about, turkey season had opened. I think it was that week. So I'd have been 14. The kind of kicker to the story is, so Grandma, Mama, Kathy, she was in the middle of having a heart cath put in, in the hospital. So Papa wasn't hunting. He wasn't, you know, he couldn't go. So I, I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. We had a private spot. We call Nelson's. We have some cows over there and stuff. So I went back in the cut. I had got there late. It was probably, I was breaking light. And again, I was 14, wasn't supposed to be over there, you know, driving, but it wasn't far from the house. It's just a little truck ride. Well, I got back in there and I give out and I just let an old hoot out, you know, and he just right over there. I mean, he just like it was textbook. So I get in there and I get where, you know, I've learned watching from Pawpaw, get above the turkey get him off the roost, you know, call minimum on the roost, he'll fly down to you. So I get up there, I get above him, he's on the roost, I hoot him again, he gobbles. So I get set up, and I just let out a few yelps, and he cuts me off right there. He's probably 50, 60 yards, kind of thicker in there, some pine trees. Well, he gobbled, he gobbled, he gobbled, and then all of a sudden, he just kind of shut up. Well, I seen a hen pitch off, and she pitched off down in the old cut in the logging road. I seen her. Here went another one, and here went another one. Well, he just, I didn't hear him. And so I figured he pitched off with them. So I just called, and sure enough, he's down there in that road, and he just gobbled right at me right there. So I didn't I didn't know what to do, really. I was kind of, man, I tried my techniques out at first that I thought was supposed to be right. And so I called Papa. He goes, hey, I'm back here with Mama. She's fixing to be in surgery. And I said, I need your help. I'm on a turkey. He's down here in the, in the road. I need to know what to do. And I can hear Mama in the background. She's, you know, she's getting ready there, prepping her. And she goes, "Steve, you need to help him with get that turkey. You know, you need to help him get that turkey." And so he says, "Well, you need to get around that turkey. Figure out where he's going, and get around that turkey, and get up there above him. Cut him off." He said, "Do maybe little calling, maybe if not any at all type deal. Just kind of let it play out. Let him come in." Well, so by the time I had got back around, I called, and that turkey was already heading up the hill. I mean, he was gobbling. He just gobble, 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 gobble. So I did what he said after the first time. I maneuvered around, and then once I realized the turkey was going up the hill, I call him again immediately. And I say, Papa, you got to have to walk me through this. I need to know. So the turkey's already beat me up there. So what, what do I do? He said, you need to climb the hill, and he said, you need to get as close as you can. And I said, but Papa says, it's like a two-year-old cut. I said, it's pretty open. I said, I'm, the turkey's going to see me. He said, well, you need to get up that hill to, right before it breaks off. And he said, you need to get in, you need to dig in. He said, once you dig in, if he answers you, you know, he might break free away from them hens. He said, you might have to sit there till 11 o'clock. So I got up there and I dug in and I called, nothing. Not a peep, not nothing. So I called Papa a third time. I'd been sitting there an hour. I ain't heard a turkey in an hour. He said, you got to do, you got to be patient. I said, Papa, I'm trying, you know, it was one of those things. I was just, just learning how to turkey hunt on my own. It's my first time. So I was all fired up, didn't want to overcall, didn't want to undercall. He said, dig in. He said, 
just give him a few yelps here and there. He said, and if he doesn't answer, he said, your last resort is to call the hens. See if you can get the hens fired up and get them to come. So I sat there, sat there, didn't hear nothing. Well, this dove, you know how a dove makes a noise that, you know, when it flies off? Well, it flew off and he gobbled about 50 yards, 60 yards over the break. I mean, I heard him. Well, so I called and he wouldn't answer me. And I said, he's with him. I knew, you know, I knew enough about it. I knew he was with hens. So I just started, I mean, just going crazy, just pucking and, and purring and, and just fighting purrs. And I was, you know, I was giving everything I could. Well, about not even two minutes later, I see this head coming. Here it comes. Here comes another one. Well, here comes some hens. They started, you know, feeding off through there real quietly. And so I just turned my head and, and gave them a purr. And they well, here they come looking. Well, sure enough, here behind a, an old tree, kind of the dead tree leaned over, here he come full strut. He come through there, and I said, oh, it's on. You know, it's one of those deals. I was getting fired up. Well, the hens started coming towards where I was at, and he was kind of circling off over there. The hens got so close, they were probably 10 yards from me, and I was in some brush. I was, I mean, I couldn't even breathe. I was afraid they were going to see me. I didn't even, I had my eyes closed. I had one eye closed and one eye looking down. The, I mean, I was just trying not to move is one of those situations. Well, one hen, she kind of threw her head up and she just, <laughs> well, about that time that gobbler threw his head up and kind of looked that way. He was every bit, I guarantee you, 60 yards. And I knew, I said, it's my only chance. So I put it right on him and I shot and he went to flopping. <laughs> And so I got on the phone and I said, Bubba, I just killed him. I got him. You know, and he's like, oh my gosh. You know, it was one of those things. I was super excited. It was my first turkey, but, you know, he walked me through it on the phone. I mean, you know, it was just one of those things that's kind of crazy at the same time. But when I got up to the turkey, he had a 12-inch beard, not even lying. He had about an inch spurs, still the biggest bird I've ever killed old bird i mean it's just one of those things you just you couldn't beat i mean it's just one of those mornings fine crisp morning you just can't top them so i after i got up to the turkey and everything i called papa back and he had told me grandma had just got out of surgery and she did she had just got out and she actually you know i wanted to talk to her and, and so I, I talked to her and, and she she made it through everything was was good she's still doing great today i mean she's just She's young. She acts young, and, and you know she just gets around good, and everything's good. But she was she was beyond thrilled that I was able to get that turkey. And she's not a turkey hunter, but she was so excited that I was able to get that turkey. Now that's a good story, and there are two things that I thought were funny. I chuckled when he said, "I ain't even lying about the beard being 12 inches long." And did you catch that he drove by himself to his turkey hunting spot when he was 14? That gives you a glimpse into the non-hunting world of the storyteller. And for all the Karens out there, which I doubt there are many listening to Bear Grease, I know about where he was and where he went, and it was just a short drive down a lonely country road. And in my book, that's some decent parenting. You know what? Really, I doubt Juju would have been too happy about that either. Juju's my mom. But Karens and Jujus are different. Jujus cast their disapproval out of genuine love, and when the risk-taker completes the task, despite their Juju's approval, it actually adds gravitas to the deed. I would even bet Koi's mama wasn't thrilled about him driving by himself that morning, but as I understand it, Karens don't want you to do stuff just kind of out of spite, kind of like they're the referees of the world. So it's okay to be Juju's and Mama's. And I apologize to all the sweet, genuine people of the world named Karen, 
who've been unjustly trapped in the cultural catchphrase. Juju actually has a sister named Karen, my sweet aunt. So sorry, Aunt Karen. Anyhow, our next storyteller is going to make you forget the last 30 seconds because he's the antithesis of any cultural catchphrase. Hank Burdine is from Chatham, Mississippi. He's a published author and one of the guardians of the legacy of Holt Collier. And kind of like Matthew McConaughey is a minister of culture in Texas, he got that whole playbook from the way Hank Burdine knows, loves, and speaks about Mississippi. You're going to enjoy this story from Hank. I had a big hunting club place, a family place down middle of the Delta, close to Leroy Percy Park. A couple thousand acres that was the north boundary of Leroy Percy Park. And Leroy Percy Park was about 4,500 acres, and then that was attached to Yazoo Wildlife Refuge, about 14,000 acres. So we had a contiguous wildlife preserve and um, had a cabin right down there, and, and I had turkeys. And it got to where I'd leave the windows open at night in my bedroom, my cabin, and my wife said, Honey, why don't you, it's cold, close that window. I said, No, baby. She said, Well, why do you want to keep that window open? I said, well, one reason, make you snuggle up a little closer to me. I said, but I hear them turkeys in the morning. That'll wake me up, and I'll go turkey hunting. Well, I got to where I knew my turkeys. I knew where they were. Uh, knew what gravel they were graveling on for the gizzards. and uh, Got to know them pretty well. Well, I had a flock that was easing over into the, the state park. I wasn't supposed to be hunting over in there. But I had a big corner that went right up in the middle of it. I said, well, I'm going to. I've been hearing some good turkeys down in yonder. So I got up and went and got set up. And the gun I was shooting, my daddy was a goose hunter. Had a big boat back in 1938 and the 40s after they channelized the river. And he goose hunted with a, it's called a Winchester Model 12 heavy duck. It was a three inch magnum, full choke, 30 inch barrel. Legendary duck gun and goose gun back then. Well, I didn't duck hunt with it, but I turkey hunted with it because it, with that full choke barrel, it was a turkey getter. So I get set up back down there in that corner that morning, and I'd gotten my blind set up, and all of a sudden, there was a turkey started gobbling. I never had a turkey gobble as much in my life as that turkey. He gobbled on the roof. He gobbled coming off the roof. When he hit the ground, he was gobbling his head off. A couple more turkeys were gobbling out there, too. I was hooting like a hoot owl trying to get them going. And all of a sudden, I looked up, and before I'd even really got settled in there good, here that turkey came. He all but jumped in the blind with me, gobbling his head off, strutting, carrying on, acting a fool like turkeys do in the springtime like that. And when I went to throw my gun up, it scared him. He jumped up, took off flying. I got one shot off at him as he flew into the park. And I knew I felt like I hit that turkey. I knew I had. I hadn't been able to, but... That gun put a tight choke, tight, tight choke gun like that. Well, that upset me bad. I didn't hear him fall, didn't hear him flapping. I spent half a day looking for that turkey. Never could find him, never could find him. I went back to the house, dejected and wore out, and just upset because that, that was too good a turkey to lose. So the next morning, I said, well, I'm going to go right back where I was because there's more birds in there. So I did, and I sat down. I hooted one time didn't hear a gobble. Hooted again, didn't hear nothing. Sun started coming up. I went to yelping a little bit. All of a sudden, I look up, and here comes the turkey with about a 10 and a half, 11 inch beard, 
He's strutting. He got his feathers fanned out. He's doing all this stuff. His neck out. He ain't said a word. Ain't said a word. Run right straight up within 15 yards of me. I was able to get my gun up right on his head as he stuck it out. And he, he'd be sticking his head out like a goblin, but he wouldn't say nothing. He was he just quiet. He stuck that head out there the last time, bloom, I got him right in the head. Didn't hit him anywhere but in the head. Well, I went and got him. I went back to the house. My wife came by. Well, you got your I said, well, yeah, but this ain't the one I wanted. I said, ah, dog, it just, I just still upsetting me so bad that I was going to lose that one from the day before. So I started cleaning that turkey. Head shot totally. Nothing in his chest. Nothing anywhere. I went to cleaning the feathers off his back end. It was slap full of copper-coated number fours. <laughs> <laughs> That's the turkey that I had shot at the day before flying off, but it upset him so bad. When he came in that next morning, I done shocked the gobble out of him. He was not <laughs> going to open his mouth. That was it. He was still as, as hot and ready to trot as he could be, but he knew what happened the day before when he opened his mouth, so that's the, that's the turkey I shot the gobble out of. And here's a fine one. Hat tip to Hank Burdine. I like the twofold reason he left his window open during the turkey season. That's a good one. Our next story is told by none other than the old Ozark Mountain turkey hunter himself, Mo Shepard. They say one of his legs grew slightly longer than the other because of all the side hilling he's done, slipping around on these steep limestone hills chasing gobbles. His stories always have a turkey hunting lesson embedded inside of them. Here's Mo. Well, this turkey story starts in late April. I was hunting the Ozark Mountains out on public land. It started on one morning. I went out a big mountain ridge and heard a bird gobble a couple of times. I just kept walking out this ridge top, but I only heard him gobble two or three times that morning. I never heard him anymore, but the whole time I was out there that morning, across the creek on the other mountain, there was a couple of birds. I don't know if they were answering me or if they were just gobbling, but I heard them several times, but it was too far to try to go that morning. So I just stayed in there and hunted until midday, walked back out, ate me a snack, decided, well, I'm going to go over there on the side of the mountain. I knew, if, in fact, there was a logging road where they'd logged in there the year before that I could walk around. So I got over there mid-afternoon and started walking around that road, and I'd stop and call like I do. I do that a lot of evening when I hunt of evening, and I'll just periodically call a little bit, see if I can get something to answer me. And what makes that good for me is, even if it ain't good that day, you call an area like that if you don't overcall too much, just like a turkey moving his way around the mountain. A lot of times I'll go back in there the next day and gobblers will be in that area where I've done that call in the evening before. But anyway, this day, it didn't work like that. But once I thought I heard a gobbler across the creek on the side where I was at that morning. Well, I started making my way back around the mountain and started calling a little bit louder, see if I could get one to gobble on the side of that. Well, that bird on the other side of the mountain started answering me. And I'd call, sometimes he'd answer, and sometimes he wouldn't. Well, I got pretty much straight across from him. There was a log laying in there where they'd logged in there. I thought, well, this is a good place just to sit here for a little bit and see if maybe one comes in. And I got set up there, and this bird answers me across the creek, a long ways over there, but nothing on the size on. So I'd wait a little bit. I'd call a little more. And it's getting later then. It's getting, you know, probably 45 minutes, maybe an hour before the sun was going down. So I got up and made my way down the logging road, this little piece. Something caught my eye, and I looked out in the canyon there over the creek between me and that other mountain and I could see something in there and then I realized it was a turkey flying. And then I realized it looked like a big turkey flying. 
And then when it got close, it landed in that log land, and it was a big old goblin. <laughs> it was the one that had been a goblin at me. I just froze. I didn't know what else to do. Well, he lands. He just went into strut mode with that tail fan out, and he turned that tail fan towards you. I was probably 100 yards from that log landing. When he turned that fan, I just dove into the bushes there and got hit. And then I do know he started gobbling a few times. Well, it's getting later. The sun's getting closer being down. I made a few calls, and he gobbled straight out there, but he didn't come on in. Well, it got a little bit later. He walks to the far end of that log landing and sails up in a tree right below it. Just in a big old tree there, a big old pine tree. I can still remember it. And them that has them big pines, got them big old crooked limbs coming out of them. He just laid up on one of them limbs there and gobbled several times. And I still just stayed put. I waited till it got plum dark. He gobbled several times. So I eased my way out of there. I thought, I've got you, buddy. Next morning, this will be real simple. So next morning, I got way in there way early. But I, I knew right where I was going. I didn't use a light or anything. I made my way in there. thought, well, I'm going to set up at the end of this log. And I don't want to get on the end where he's at because I might break a stick. It might spook him or anything. If they hear noise, I think they spook real easy in the darkness like that and won't come to wherever they hear the sticks break or whatever. So I set up on within gun range of the log landing. And I sat there a while and I sat there a while and I didn't hear nothing. No gobbles, no nothing. It's just barely breaking light, but it was light enough that a turkey should have gobbled if they were going to. I thought, maybe he flew out of here. Maybe something bust him out of the tree, a hoot owl run him out of the tree, or a bobcat or whatever, you know, may run him out of the tree. I thought, well, I'm going to make some really, this real soft yelps. And if he's there, he'll, he'll answer this. Well, I didn't even get the second little out. And that dude, I hear his wings pop, and he sails down that log land. It's still so dark, I can't even see him. And he starts gobbling. And there I am sitting in the pitch dark nearly. I mean, it's light, but you can't see 20 yards in front of you. And I watch out there where he's at. I don't call anymore because I don't want him coming to me. And it, as dark as it was, and I sit there and I sit there and he just gobbles and he gobbles and he gobbles. He's on the ground. That's why I said he flew down on the ground and is gobbling and I guess strutting, but I couldn't see him. And then all of a sudden I see something moving and it's the white of his head where he's strutting. And I can see a little bit and then it go away. He's just, he's probably in gun range of me, but it's still too dark to shoot. And I thought, just stay here, just stay here. I thought... Maybe I should call. I thought, no, I don't need to call yet because it's still too dark. I don't want him getting in gun range if he's not in there yet. Well, all of a sudden, the white head disappears, and I don't hear anything. And he don't gobble. I thought, he's leaving, so I got to do something other. So I just made a few soft calls when I did. He answered me right back. But it's still fairly dark. But he's farther out away from me. He's probably out of the log landing by then. And it starts getting light. And he, then I see him. He's plumb out in the road to pass the log landing. The opposite end of the log land for me, the log land is probably 100 yards across it, maybe 80, something like that. I thought, well, I got to do some sweet talking to him because he's been there strutting and I ain't. So I tried some of my stuff and started calling. And finally, here he comes. He turns and starts coming towards me. And by the time he gets in the middle of that log landing, I can see him pretty good then. It's plenty of light to shoot, but he's not in what I feel good range. He just stops there like they do. Stops and spins and turns, spins and turns around and turns around and spins. I thought, do I need to do anything? No, I'm going to be quiet. Because if I say anything, he's liable to just stay where he's at. So I sat there for probably five minutes, didn't say a thing. He just drops out of strut and just starts walking towards me. Gets in good gun range, and I raise my old gun I've had for 40 years I've been turkey hunting with. And shoot and get him, and he's a big old mature gobbler. And it, it was a really memorable hunt, because I, I, I've never seen a gobbler fly down when it was that dark like that. So, yeah, that was, that was a heck of a hunt. That turkey flew all the way across that holla to try to roost near that hen that he heard calling. Little did he know 
that it was just old Mo. You can learn a thing or two from that story. What's the healthiest thing that you can do for your pet? Feed them what they were born to eat with Darwin's fresh, raw food for dogs and cats. Darwin's customized meal plans support their ancestral diet with high protein, moderate fat, and low carbs. From shinier coats and softer fur to improved digestion and gut health, the health benefits are easy to see. Plus, there are no fillers, grains, or natural additives. Just farm-fresh, raw ingredients like USDA meats and organic vegetables delivered straight to your door from the freshest raw meals possible. With over 20 years of experience, choose Darwin's to see your pet thrive longer. Go to darwinspet.com and try 10 pounds for $14.95. That's darwinspet.com. Here's a simple but meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. A digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pictures of all the things that they can't be there for, from family vacation to their grandkids' graduation. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code BEAR. That's A-U-R-A, frames.com, promo code BEAR. Terms and conditions apply. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were onto something because organs are among the most nutrient rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Our next storyteller is another born and bred Ozarkian, and he came by his turkey hunting passion honest. From his house, he has a 360-degree view of some of the prettiest mountains known to man. He's grown up in the heart of some great turkey hunting, and he's a real woodsman and turkey hunter. This story, however, takes place in Kansas. Here's Richard Campbell of Newton County, Arkansas. All right, so uh, me and Mr. Brown, Mr. David Brown, we were out in, in Kansas hunting. It was probably mid-April, or but we were out there hunting, and we was driving down the highway. Of course, they got a lot of lakes and coraline that you can hunt on around them lakes and there was a park there on this one lake and when we pulled in there there was there was three or four big old jakes walking around in that park and uh, the lake wasn't it was probably 150 200 yards wide there and there's like a either uh, it may have been an island i'm not sure but there's land across there so they rose and they flew across that lake and david asked me he says uh, he says now just what would you do if you shot a turkey and it got out in the lake I said, I ain't going out in that lake after a turkey. And that's that's kind of how it went on there. Well, 
I don't know if it was that day or the next day. We were coming back up the road we'd been hunting, and across the road from this same lake, there's a big old farmland. And we looked out there, and there's this big old gobbler out there strutting around out there in the middle of that field. And Dave says, let's pull off here at this ramp. There's a ramp that went down to the lake there, and, and just see if that old turkey would gobble. We got out there, and we stopped, and I called, and here meant the old turkey jarred down. And, uh, well, we stood around there talking, and the old turkey just kept gobbling. I called another time, too, just, just fooling around there. And I told him, I said, David, I think that turkey is coming. And uh, he says, I'll, I'll go on up the road. You get down here and on this core land and see if you can see if you can kill him, see if you can call him up. And this was a, we was right beside a big, he's a busy highway. And uh, I get down there over the hill, out away from the highway and, you know, down towards that lake. And I was sitting there calling and I could hear the old turkey over across the highway gobbling. He's just getting closer and closer and he gobbled here in a minute. And I said, well, he's over at that fence. Here in a minute, he gobbled. And I looked up, and he's standing up there in the highway. And these cars are running up down the road. And uh, I thought, well. So he walks down there. And, of course, you know, he was up there at the highway. And he comes kind of down that off-ramp. He gets down there to where I could shoot him. But it's, uh, it's real brushy and stuff. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to wait. Don't even let him get on down here a little bit. And so he just kept getting closer. And he walks down there, and it's finally, I've got to shoot or something. I find me a halfway open spot, and he's probably not 15 yards. And I, I shoot, and I, I hit him, but I, he starts trying to fly off, and he tries to fly across the lake. Well, he flies out there probably 100 yards in the lake and lands in the lake. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is, are you going to go out in that lake and get that turkey? He, David asked me that. <laughs> I thought, well, here I go. Well, <laughs> the old turkey, he hit the water, and he starts swimming right back to me, right back towards where I'm at. I thought, well, this is this is great. I'll let him get over here to the bank, and then I'll shoot him, and I'll just walk down and pick him up. And uh, to top all this off, I, I just had, I think, I don't know if I just put one shell in the gun or two, but I'd shot the one. Well, he comes back, and he hits dirt, and I shoot and miss him again because he's hit to, and he's running when he hits the dirt. And I am without a shell. Anyways, he runs back over across the highway, right out through the field. And I never did team. I never did get that turkey. Now that that kind of that'd be hard to make up, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that would be hard to make up, Richard. Can you imagine calling a turkey across a busy highway? When Richard's buddy David tells this story, he says the turkey waited for several cars to pass, looking both ways before he crossed, and then for the darn thing to land in the lake, just like David had thought the day before, is wild. And I hate it when they get away, but we'll hope that bird made it to another spring, and I bet he didn't leave that private land again. And before we move on, I want y'all to hear Richard's suite of natural voice calls. He's really good. Hit it, Richard. All right, this will be by Bardell. Crow call. A yelp. Ha, ha, ha. 
That's about as good as it gets. And once again, my theory on natural voice callers rings true. They're usually really good turkey hunters. I want to end with a special story from a man that I just met named Garvin Gibbons. Like the storytellers before him, he's from deep in the Ozarks of Arkansas. I think you'll hear a humble, somber, yet passionate tone in Garvin's voice. He's an extremely accomplished hunter. His wall is full of big whitetails, and he's killed 23 elk out west with his bow. He elk hunted from 1984 until 2008, but I've got to let you in on something from the start. Since 2009, Garvin has been in a wheelchair. Here's Garvin's story about his son's first gobbler, which happened before 2009. My son's name's Trevor, and and, uh, he was eight years old, and uh, I put him in for the draw, early permit draw, and uh, he drew a tag, and and so I went over before season and scouted one day and knew where a few turkeys were at. So we get up and go over, drive over that morning, and we go down uh, one of the cut lanes there kind of like a fire break there and, and we hear a turkey and anyway we get get set up and and the turkey comes right off the limb and he, he comes up and he gets probably maybe 30 35 yards and uh i can see the turkey really good and trev just can just get bits and pieces of him and finally the old turkey gets nervous and walks off but after i kind of survey what's going on here i always set him right between my legs you know so i can communicate with him and if we need to turn, we can kind of twist together. And uh, I, that way I can just lean up by his head and kind of coach him. You know, he's not over to my side and stuff. But what I've got to realize is I'm setting up higher than an eight-year-old, and I can see things that he can't. So he didn't get a real good look at it, and it walked off. And anyway, we go on, and a little bit we hear some more, and, and we set up, and uh, I call it three jakes. And I had him right up in his lap and stuff, but... You know, this is his first rodeo, and anyway, I kept them up there for probably five minutes, and they was they kind of got nervous going back and forth, and, and he never would shoot, and so when they finally walked off, I told him, I said, uh, son, you know, if you get it on his head, just pull the trigger. Not all the times everything's going to be perfectly still, and uh, he, he was kind of down in his mouth, and we went on, and it was getting up kind of into the day, and I struck a turkey, and it was across a, across a big hollow, and... Uh, and we, we set up on him, and I put a decoy out, and uh, it dropped off real steep in the hollow, and the turkey was just on the other side, and he was answering me good, and finally there was a turkey back kind of to a ride and kind of behind us, and that turkey really got gobbling well. And uh, so this turkey kind of got quiet, and, uh, and, and the turkey behind us kind of got uh, gobbling a lot better, and I could tell he was coming toward us. So we got up, and we moved probably... 20 or 25 yards and and uh, and as we were walking this turkey gobbled that was across from us and uh, i asked trev i said where was he at and uh the turkey was coming to us all the time and he he got down low in the hollow there and uh, so we sat down and in just a minute he gobbled again and i could tell he was just right under the brake from us and we sat there a minute and i called and and uh, turkey didn't gobble no more but in a little bit, I seen him come strutting up. When he come up, he seen the decoy, and he comes up, and, and uh, he never breaks out of strut, and he walks right up to the decoy, and he might have been 25 yards from us. Anyway, I got Trev on him, and, and he strutted around the decoy 
a couple of times and finally the turkey got just right and he had a good beat on him and, and he shot and, and he killed him and that was a pretty special day for me you know my son being eight years old and and, uh, and he got his first turkey I think he weighed 22 pounds had like a 10 inch beard that was a special day I asked Garvin if he'd be willing to tell us what happened when he got hurt he agreed here's his story in 2009 we had a really a bad ice storm there was trees broke down all in my yard and stuff and but anyway I had a I had a feeder up out at a guy's house that I worked with and, and I had some tree stands up and I wasn't hunting but I thought well I'll, I'll just go out there and and take that stuff down and I got out there and it, it it was cold snowy day and there was snow on the ground probably four inches of snow and I walked up and I thought, well, I can get this tree stand down, but I didn't take my belt. And uh, when I walked up the tree, I was kind of hesitant, but I thought, well, I've done this forever. You know, I thought I can just snake up the tree here and get, walk up my climbing steps and take the stand down. But I had a, had a lock on the, on the chain. It was a lock on stand and I got up there and it was cold and I had on some gloves and I'd been in that stand, uh, probably a half a dozen times that fall and there was a limb that come out from the side of the tree there and and I got up on the on the standing on the steps and I had to hold the stand and I thought well if I can just pull up just a little bit on this limb here I can throw my leg over and, and sit on top of this big limb and and just unlock my stand and get my rope and let it down and just step back over on the step and and uh, come down the tree but when I was pulling up I'm not sure exactly what happened but uh, um, I don't know if the limb was frozen I don't think the limb was dead and uh, but uh, it it broke with me and I had so much pressure and I was a hold of the stand but it all happened so fast I pulled loose from the stand and I had enough awareness to try to kick out from the the tree because I didn't want one of those steps to, to catch me on the way down you know so when I woke up, I guess it knocked me out. I'm sure it did. I was just tingling all over, and I, I reached behind me, and there was a little cedar tree, and I got a hold of it. But I, I tried to move, but I couldn't. And, uh, and I'd fallen about 20 feet. First thing I thought of was I left my cell phone in my truck. I remember pulling it out of my coveralls. And I was dressed pretty well, and uh, thank goodness. And so... When I left that morning, uh, my friend's house, I told him, I said, uh, I'm just going to be gone a little bit and I'll be back. So after I looked at my watch and it was about 1025, then you wonder, are you going to lay here and freeze to death before anybody comes? And I knew I was hurt bad. And uh, I'd laid there almost two hours and I heard I heard Dwight on, on his tractor coming around and I thought, well, good. And uh I heard him come come back, and I heard the tractor stop. And then about 10 or 15 minutes, I could hear him coming. He had two little Feist, Rat Terrier Feist mix dogs, and they went with me that morning, and they stayed right with me the whole the whole time. Anyway, Dwight came, and uh, I told him I was really cold, and, and I told him to, to go get me some blankets and try to, try to get me some help. In a little bit, the ambulance came, and Dwight, in the meantime, had brought me some blankets and covered me up, and uh, he never tried to move me or anything. And They finally came and, and got me and worked on me and packed me out and 
I didn't know it, but I had a compound fracture in my leg. Anyway, they got me in and started to the hospital, and, and I flatlined three times. I remember the ambulance stopping, but I didn't know what was going on. So anyway, they got me into the hospital in Harrison and then checked me out and then took me on to Springfield and ended up, uh, it paralyzed me from the right above the waist down, and uh, I had surgery. And Then I went on to uh, Craig Hospital out in Colorado, and I stayed uh, 103 days in the hospital in my rehab and stuff before I got to come home. And Yeah, a rock hit me in the in the spine. It busted my vertebrae and bruised my spinal cord enough that it, it paralyzed me, yeah. Uh, I just, you know, uh, I just thank God for being with me and, uh, you know, giving me a second chance in life because um, – I should have. I should have died. Uh, being truthful with you, uh, I was real hypothermic, and I remember. I remember laying there and praying for God to help me. You know, uh, I didn't want. I didn't want to leave my wife and and kids. You know, mm-hmm. and that's what I was really thinking about at the time. After I got to come home and stuff, and uh, I had. To, I got home in June, and anyway, season come up, and uh, it was a whole new whole new learning experience you know i had to uh, had to figure some things out so i got me i got me a couple of pop-up blinds and um uh, i deer hunted that fall and stuff and, and and i was lucky i got to kill a deer and and uh but anyway uh come spring uh, i was i was stronger and and uh tried turkey hunting and uh you know uh now i can't get up and and go to the turkeys like i used to could but i've got a few places that i can go and and, and get my blind and I mainly hunt around edge of fields and some some down logging roads and some some of the timber I can get to but you know around some of the fields and where I can drive my truck or my side by side in and and throw the blind up and and just uh, roll in there in my wheelchair and stuff but uh, I've seen where patience really come into effect since I'm hurt you know because I figured out a lot of a lot of birds that I've walked off and left, you know. And now that now that I can't move, I've sat there and uh, I heard a lot of turkeys and and turkeys come to you, you know. And I, I've been I've been I've killed a lot of turkeys now since uh, I got hurt that I wouldn't have killed before because I just w- wouldn't have given them enough time to to come in, you know. So I've learned that patience is really a good thing on killing a turkey. Garvin is a fighter who's not let the tough hand he's been dealt beat him down. He's continued to passionately hunt. He's killed a lot of turkeys and he even says he's killed bigger whitetails since his accident. Patience is a powerful thing. I'm proud to know Garvin and to have been able to sit across the table from him as he told me his story. I'd say he's a real hero. What happened to him could have happened to any one of us who've spent our lives dangling from trees chasing whitetails and bears. Garvin's chosen to take the glass-half-full approach and be thankful that he's alive. I'd say that's an honorable thing. He was 49 years old when this accident happened in 2009. All these storytellers, some I've known my whole life and others I've recently met, 
carried the DNA of the American turkey hunter, which is characterized by a peculiar passion and dedication to this magnificent giant goblin bird which roams our woods and fields. I'm so grateful that the generations before us fought to save turkeys and their habitat. Despite some regions seeing downfalls in numbers, we've still got an incredible resource at our fingertips. I think it's important to stay active in the organizations dedicated to turkey conservation, like the National Wild Turkey Federation and the new group Turkeys for Tomorrow. And I know there are many other groups helping wild turkeys. Long live the wild turkey, his habitat, and the hunt. I can't thank you guys and gals enough for listening to Bear Grease. Please leave us a review on iTunes and share our podcast with the best intentioned but worst turkey hunter you know this week. We'll see you next week on The Render. Ever need something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? You can do that at Aaron's. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech. Plus, Aaron's has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. Life's always changing. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com to see what I'm talking about. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Here's a simple but meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. A digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pictures of all the things that they can't be there for, from family vacation to their grandkids' graduation. My parents are always asking for sports photos of my son who plays basketball. That A lot of the games, they aren't able to make it. It comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame, so you can upload as many photos as you want, and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. I have an Aura frame, and so does Juju, my mom, and they love it. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code BEAR. That's A-U-R-A, frames.com, promo code BEAR. Terms and conditions apply.